Hello friends, welcome back to Imago Gay, a play on the term Imago Day, which means in the image of God, because as human beings, we are all entitled to dignity, kindness, and self-determination. This week, I have Jay Wintermeyer joining us. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And today we're going to talk a little bit about your story. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it strikes a chord with so many people. I was reading all the comments on the different articles, but you were recently outed and let go of your position in the Adventist church. Can you give us like a small synopsis of that whole process? Sure. I'd be happy to. I am a gay man and that in itself is a long story, but I worked for the Seventh-day Adventist church as the communication director and editor of the North Pacific Union Gleaner. So I worked at the at the union level as their communication director. And in May, a, an anonymous letter came in, was sent in to administration that said, Jay's a gay man, and if he hasn't resigned already, you need to let him go immediately. And the president sat me down with the vice president of administration, and they said, well, they handed me the letter, folded it up, and said, uh, here's a, an anonymous letter. We want you to tell us if it's true or not. And that was not unexpected. At some point, the world of my private life and work were bound to collide because I wasn't hiding anything in my private life from my neighbors, my close friends, my, my immediate family. All was aware that I am gay. And... So it wasn't a surprise, and and I was planning on on leaving because it it isn't a safe place for the LGBT community to to work. It's not affirming, like you said, they will let you go. I resigned before they fired me because I didn't want that on my record. But if I had stayed, it was made very clear that I would be let go. Wow. So it sounds like you're saying those two worlds were on a course to collide at some point. Did you still feel betrayed, though, in that moment, even though you were like, I expected it, it was probably going to come? Was it a, your way of coming out, or did it still feel like a betrayal? I'm not sure if I would classify it as a, a betrayal. Specifically, I don't, that word somehow doesn't quite fit for what I'm feeling. Okay. The The feeling that I felt was sadness that a an anonymous letter was would be given credence in the first mm -hmm. place right. and that they used that as a method of saying okay you're no longer welcome here wow. and the feeling the tone of the meetings that i had with my administration were they paid lip service to support you know we want to make it possible for you to have a transition uh, so that you can, you know, eat and pay your bills. But that is a for a very limited time. And the way things were worded, it was very clear that there was no personal care or support for me as a person from the top. There were people in the organization that expressed care, multiple people. But ultimately, the, the decision maker did not show that or exhibit that. And that was sad. So it wasn't necessarily the initiator, this letter that the, like, 
I don't want to say there's a better word for betrayal uh, that that those feelings arisen from, but it was people who were in your close circle who gave that letter credence and then began to kind of turn away from some of these more familial bonds that they had with you at one point and could act in coldness and not caring for how you were as a human being. Yeah, I would, it's just, it's left me with the heaviness that there was, you know, once the, the meetings were over, there has been zero contact and reaching out by my boss to, you know, check on how I'm doing. Clearly, it feels as if there's no personal connection or care there. Yeah, I can relate to this in so many levels. You know, I think there are people that I had daily community with that we don't talk anymore, or at least regular community with, right? Um, And sometimes I wonder what's going on in their head, and I can't really speculate, you know, that it's not my story to tell. But as you look back on those relationships and where you are now, like you're describing a sense of grief that you feel, would you have considered any of them your friends? Like you worked there for how many years? Well, I worked at the union for about two and a half years. Previous to that, I worked for 11 years in in Spokane as the communication director at the conference level at Upper Columbia Conference. And then previous to that, I worked for other Adventist organizations. Maybe you can tell us about a little bit of these worlds that were colliding because in your own interpersonal life, you are shifting into a, a space and into a perspective where you're like, I can't, I can't carry on in the way that I've been carrying on for this long. How do those shifts begin to take place? One specific instance that stands out in my head was working at the conference level and I would go out and speak at churches on weekends. And the last time that I spoke at a church, I was physically sick. I felt like I had a knife in my stomach, standing up and speaking and feeling like I am speaking on behalf of an organization that does not support me. Mm. And I, I can't talk to anyone about it. I can't share what I'm feeling because there's no space that is safe to be who I am. Yeah. And that was a huge turning point where I just said, you know what, I cannot continue these speaking appointments. And so at that point, I just stopped accepting any speaking appointments. Yeah, I I think in many ways, you know, I am grateful for the step back that COVID has allowed from these community participations, right? They've allowed us time to say, why am I participating in this ritual? Why am I continuing to go through the motions, you know, and think it's a, a time for a lot of reflection for many people that may not have otherwise happened, right? So I, in some ways, I see this divide happening. I think the, the church in some ways is becoming more defined in what it believes itself to be and making these statements of, uh, you know, removing LGBTQ persons from administration, like just becoming more fundamentalistic in general. And I think people who have questions or people who are like, who, who might have been able to get by on the sidelines, on the fringes of Adventism, are now starting to like separate themselves as Adventism becomes more self-defined in that way. Have you felt, as much as you felt like grief around this process of like, you know, the way that you've been treated on the way out, do you have any grief in regards to like what you see Adventism turning into at this point? I 
would agree with you that I see there is a movement to more fundamentalistic viewpoints within the Adventist church, starting with the top leadership. At the same time, I see many people, including pastors and some leadership level positions who see the see the importance of loving first before we try to apply dogma. And I'm a fourth generation, third or fourth generation Adventist. And there's a lot that I hold dear about the Adventist church. I am very sad that we as a whole are not affirming we're not affirming of women. And frankly, we are a little bubble unto ourselves. This process of coming to peace with who I am and actually getting outside of the Adventist bubble and making friends outside the Adventist church for the first time in my life, solid, powerful friendships to the point of where these people feel like family to me has been a an incredible experience because I've realized what it means to make a true unconditional friendship with someone and to not have those barriers or walls of, I'll just say not to have those whitewashed walls of everything's fine. Everything's beautiful. You can just be yourself, the good, the bad, the ugly. That experience has, has really invited me to pursue more of that. We as an end church hold so tightly to the 28 fundamental beliefs that we put beliefs over people. We put love on a back burner and really overlook building those deep, meaningful relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, like I think sometimes I wonder like, did Adventism change or did I just change? right? Did, has it always been this? And I just simply had my blinders on or wanted to have my rose colored glasses. And now those glasses are removed and I, I'm seeing it for what it is. And you see the cultish practices, like you see in some ways it's a cult of personalities and not even to say that the, that personality is alive, right? E.G. White, right? Like that in those types of environments, you know, I think myself, and maybe a few others, but like, I think the susceptibility of that environment is like, I think in some ways kind of feeds on the codependent side of ourselves, the part of ourselves that is willing to be giving and part, and in service and in a suppression of ourselves. And I think that's the only way that that organization really works. And when you begin to embark upon the process of like self-discovery and figuring out who you are, and as that personality begins to emerge... You see, there's no real room for competing personalities, right? It's the it's the Adventist personality or like, and everything is subjected to that. Or as yours emerges, you find yourself in, in combatants with that. So as you are kind of emerging and coming into your own and, and finding spaces and friends and communities outside of this space, like who are you figuring out that you are, right? Like what are, where's your heart at right now? Because for me, it's felt like Adventism has been kind of a process of a breakup, you know, I'm fa- falling in love with something else. So, you know, if I could put in those terms, like, what are you falling in love with right now? 
right now I am falling in love with making friends and hearing people's stories and seeking to build genuine community. For my whole life, I've been hiding, trying to avoid being seen too closely. And it is a wonderful relief to let go of that fear and just to be a, a whole person. And that has been incredibly freeing to make deep, genuine relationships because I don't have any skeletons in my closet that I feel like I need to keep back or, or hide. I can just be me. Over the last few weeks, I've reconnected with many of my former classmates mm. from high school and college and many of them live in the area and I'm not afraid to reach out and get together and share a meal or go hiking or whatever it is and really work to to build true authentic relationships and so that is what's what's exciting me as I'm discovering who it means to be me today I love that a lot of people are using that term today. Deconstruction? Yeah. Uh, talk about their spirituality. I have been feeling like I am rebuilding my spirituality mm. because for so many years I had shut the door on what I felt so sinful and rejected by, by God based on what the church had told me, what I learned growing up that it was all just this surface spirituality. I was, you know, I could not, I think that's part of why I felt so um, ill the last time that I preached was that it was very clear that this is just a veneer. I can't speak to this from my heart. It's all from my head. And so for me right now, it's a period of, of rebuilding. What is, what are the parts of of the gospel that are the most beautiful? What, what does it really mean to me to be a follower of, of Christ and to be in connection with the divine? I am in regular communication with, with ex-Adventists, with people who are on the fringes, people who have no spiritual connection at all with any organization, and yet they, they are spiritual beings. They believe in a higher power and just being able to embrace them as humans and, and have authentic conversations, deep, meaningful conversations, and not feel like I'm trying to push them one way or the other, but just to be in community. Exactly. I think I can resonate with that so much because when I think about how I'm rebuilding my spirituality, I think I'd rather base it on shared values than on shared beliefs, right? Because beliefs, it, what does it matter if you know what happens in the end time, if it doesn't make you a good human being in the here and now, right? I think those things, what happens when you die, what happened a billion years ago <laughs> when the earth was formed, like these are points that I find we get so caught up on and in contention with, but does it, like, how is it affecting how you act right now? And 
the ways that you're wrestling with issues of ethics in the present, right? And there are so many people who are driven to be good human beings, to act ethically, to consider the marginalized, to consider the silenced. And I think it has helped me, if anything, I just have a bigger view of who God is, right? God isn't is not really stuck on this person needing to believe that this is how the end days is going to play out or that this is what happened in the beginning of time. Like, I think he cares more about, well, what are the fruits of the Spirit and how are you operating in the world? And I think that gives me confidence, actually, that, you know, helps me to see a bigger God and a love that's more encompassing. And in that vein, you know, in what ways are your views of God evolving because it sounds like you had this picture where you felt so sinful and evil and it really severed even this ability to be spiritual because it was it was too painful you know so what is that what does that look like for you now and how are you kind of operating in the world post all of this that's a big question how are my views of god evolving i'm much more careful about how I refer to God, I used to always refer to God as he, and I'm trying to speak less in terms of a gender and more in the terms of a divine personage that is free from pronouns, because that can be so triggering for so many people. I look at the world around me, I look at at my own body and its makeup and the, the incredible intricacy that goes into one cell, let alone my entire organism, to work together to operate and to function and to heal itself. I can't turn away from the feeling that there is intelligent design behind myself. So that hasn't changed. I feel like there is a, a greater appreciation for it. My self-respect is stronger than it has ever been before. Mm. What someone thinks doesn't affect who I am as a person. It can't change that. It can't touch that. And so that is also another way that I'm growing is I'm more confident of, of God's love. For some people who can't see past, I think... That scary moment. It's like jumping in the pool and you know it's cold and you're like, I don't want to do this, right? Uh, for people who are scared of that moment of, quote, disclosing themselves, you know, what would you say to those who are afraid right now and maybe looking in your story for some inspiration or some hope? Is there hope beyond being fired or having to be forced to resign? <laughs> I can certainly understand the fear that comes along with wanting to stay quiet to preserve your job. Even though I came to peace in 2020 with who I am and fully embraced being a whole person and living authentically and honestly to myself, I can understand the silence because I remained silent because a, I loved what I did, I was doing a good job, and I needed to pay my mortgage. So, you know, people say you were, you were living a double life by continuing to work for the Adventist Church. I was effectively doing my job 
and advocating for the kingdom of God, for God's love to others and encouraging others. And I didn't see it as a, as a dichotomy. I didn't see it as a living a double life. I was comfortable and at peace with my private life. And I was at peace doing my work and supporting the organization. So I looked for other work so that I could transition out. And I was at a point in the last couple of months where I was just feeling so disgusted by what I was seeing spoken from the top at the general conference level that I, I didn't feel comfortable working for the Adventist church. And for, for that part, uh, point, from that standpoint, even being a member any longer, they're not affirming. They don't see the spectrum that exists. They don't recognize that. They're just pushing people out. So I would say if you're in a position and you want to speak or you want to come out, but you have financial concerns, give yourself grace to, to remain where you are, to, to preserve your financial stability, because that's important. That adds, if you don't have that, it adds a huge level of stress that yep. is hard to live with. If you're in a position where you don't have anything to lose financially, what people say doesn't change who you are. It can't affect that. It can't touch that. God created you in your unique, beautiful way, and that will remain unchanged regardless of what people say. And we need to hear stories. We need to hear people's testimonies of what, and I kind of get a twinge when I say testimony, but we need to hear people's stories of, of what you have experienced, who you are, so that there can be a greater awareness that my story is not an isolated story. I know that there are many people wrestling and struggling with who they are. Um, and we need to tell more of those stories just so that there can be a greater awareness and a, a shift toward more affirmation, not just in the Adventist church, but across all of Christianity. Yeah, I think financial instability. I, th I think of all the pastors who are asking me like, well, so how do we create safe spaces for LGBTQ community in the church? Or how do we create safe spaces for pastors to speak? And a part of me, a lot of the answers that I give is like, it's systemic. Like if, if this is still in policy, it's kind of hard to be safe when there's always ammunition where you could lose your job. And I think for a lot of pastors who want to be affirming and they want to be in that space, but they just spent four or five years getting a master's degree, they're in debt and they now have these, they might have a family now, they have financial concerns and it really is a difficult space to now transition to say, I got to have a whole new career where I, I don't have to be bigoted. And that takes time, you know, it does. It also takes a willingness to not say like, well, Pride Month is one month. I just got to get through this and, uh, and and be affirming privately as much as I can. And then we could move on to other things. But I think you're right. Like anybody who is an ally or is LGBTQ, it's like it's a monumental shift to have to change careers. And there's no guarantee that the first place you're going to land is going to be where you want to land. What was that transition like for you when you got fired from this job and now you're like, okay, or resigned. I say fire because, you know, I, it is, they put the onus and the pressure that, that they rejected you because of your sexuality. So what was that transition like for you between losing that job and, and getting to a new place? 
it was scary because I didn't have uh, anything else lined up and I didn't have a way to, to make mortgage payment, the, the big one. At the same time, there was such an incredible relief that I felt. I feel like this transition has been a, a gift. It wasn't on my timetable, but it has given me a platform to speak from that speaks to what is happening in the Adventist church and within Christendom here in, in, in the U.S. and probably other parts of the world as well. It is not a safe space for, for the queer community to live and work. And in my situation, there were very caring allies who were on the lookout for, for job opportunities. And while I was applying, I hadn't found anything. I continued to get rejection letters. And the morning after I resigned, I received a, a note sharing a job opportunity with the American Heart Association. And I did some research. It felt like a really good fit. So I applied online. And then I looked on, on LinkedIn to see if I knew anyone who might have connections with, with the American Heart Association. And I had one friend in the Portland area who happened to be connected with someone in the local Portland office. So I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm applying for this job. Do you know anyone there? Would you, would you mind recommendation or seeing if there's someone I can speak to in the local office just to put a face to my, my application? And this person sent a, a rec personal recommendation along with my cover letter and my resume into the local Portland office, which was then forwarded on to the hiring manager. And so if you are in a situation where you don't feel safe, don't be afraid to reach out to contacts and ask for help. I was very open with people that I knew that I could trust. Over the last few weeks, I have learned for myself how to be a better ally because I have been reached out to by so many people. And those who are not part of the queer community who have reached out to me have done so in a number of ways. And the ways that are most meaningful to me are just the communications from people that say, hey, I want you to know that I see you and I support you. I value you as a person. And when, they, when you say specific things like, hey, I saw that article that you wrote, or I really appreciate the way you interact with people showing specific things about a person that say you see them is a great way to show love and care as an ally. The whole, I'm praying for you, uh, and then adding, throwing in spiritual things like Bible verses, even if they're yeah. encouraging verses, can be triggering for, for those of us in the queer community. And especially on your first time interacting with someone, just interact in a way that sees them and doesn't push away. Yeah. Yeah. I can attest to being triggered <laughs> when I hear people say, well, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I'm just going to make also a call to women out there because 
something that I have noticed even when I was in seminary, when it comes to the process of like women being mentored, especially queer women, like, but just women in general, you know, because there are not a lot of women in power, for example, in the seminary, there are not a lot of women professors, there's like three. (laughs) So a lot of women were not getting mentored. They were not getting the same conversations because of the gender gap, right? And I think that there are a lot of women who might be queer and want to come out of the closet they are not getting the same level of encouragement even because of the gender gap where it's like, man, I'm a man. Do I reach out to this woman and encourage her? Is that going to come off weird? Right. And so, you know, if you are a woman and you are an ally, make sure that you're backing up your sisters, making sure you're backing up other women, because I, I, I think that that's probably less common for, for queer women or transgender women even just because of that disparity and that kind of sensitivity that sometimes people have to to not want to reach over across the gender line. So I'm glad that that is an experience and also something you said that I'm like, I really hope our listeners hear this because I think there is like a spirit of rejection, right? Like if you feel rejected by your your church, your family, your community, you can carry that with you in other spaces, right? And so to be open to the the idea that people are not going to reject you in the world, that you're going to have a job opportunity or a safe person that you can share with, and they're not going to continue that story because we can posture ourselves in a way where we're trying to defend ourselves from that happening. And we all, we've already kind of rejected ourselves for them. And it's not giving people the opportunity to love us, to know us, and to change that story, right? I think that that is something that even I'm having to work on, uh, that, I, that I, have, I have positioned myself ready for defeat um, and how to not enter into a room or into a relationship or into a conversation anticipating that type of behavior. So, yeah, yeah. You said something that... that- was the trigger for me as people have been making comments, they have said things like, you know, I don't care, care whether you love strawberries or whether you love flowers or, or other things like, I don't care who you are. And those kind of comments, while they're well-meaning and I'm in no way disparaging the people who have made comments to me like that, they are triggering, at least to me, they are triggering comments just leaving those comments out and just simply speaking love and support to a person can be a great way to be an ally and to help us feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel that maybe we'll wrap up with this, you know, like I feel like pride month started out really strong. Then there's a lot, there's some hate crimes that happened. And then we had kind of the overturn of the Roe v. Wade which really kind of placed me into a space where I I feel like I've always felt more safe in the world than I did in my church. And knowing that I had that, uh, that, that space, right, that I would, I don't have to be here. Not everybody thinks like you. There are people out there who have access to reason and ethical thinking in a way that is not religiously influenced. I'm going to have a fairer trial <laughs> in the secular space than I will in the church. But to see that kind of conservative thinking win out in the secular space, really motivated by religious ideology, it has made me fearful of my my present and my future. And I know there's uh, talk about, you know, reversing uh, federally protected gay marriage and the Oberfell. Like, how has that impacted you 
as you're on your journey to come out and you're seeing these, I recently saw a video about like how monkey pox is like, it's, it's affecting gay men mostly. And I'm like, is this just another aid scare? Is this another way that we're trying to create homophobia and scare people back into the closet or ostracize their community from them? Like the way that the narratives are moving in the world genuinely are frightening to me. And I'm just curious how you're processing that. Well, it's hard not to be influenced by the Adventist historical timeline of, of how we see or how the Adventist church has believed the, the world will end, that, that religion and politics are going to become one. And you certainly see hints of that in what's happening with the Supreme Court and evangelical Christianity in, in North America today. So it's hard not to look at that and see, well, this, you know, this could be the beginnings of that. Uh, at the same time, it is, it is frightening. My husband and I decided to, to go ahead and get married because we currently had the opportunity to do so freely in Washington. Congratulations. And thank you. It was a, a beautiful experience to walk into a courthouse and to freely request a marriage license and to, to do that. At the same time, there are there are rumblings that that's not going to always be the case, and this is a time for us to, as a queer community, to speak up in in loving ways, to tell our story, to be seen, to be heard, so that it is more difficult to cancel for the cancel culture to to erase us. Well said. Well said. Well, maybe we'll have you back on talking about your new relationship. I'm so, I so want the tea. Like, I want to know how you guys met. I want to know all this stuff. Maybe that'll be for a part two. But I think all in all, I think your story has a happy ending, right? It ends with the boy getting his prints and running off into the sunset <laughs> at a new job. Do you have any last words, like I said, anybody who might be looking for encouragement from your story that you'd like to share? Well, as someone who has spent well over 30 years deep in the closet and feeling ashamed and guilty for something that I couldn't change, those who are struggling, I want you to know that God loves you, that you are beautifully created just as you are, and that is not something that you need to apologize for. And if you know someone who uh, is in the queer community, be an ally, help them to feel seen, to, to feel like they have a true connection, that they matter to you. Speak up for them as, as a one of God's beautifully created beings. And that is going to help shift the needle. Thank you all for listening this week. Amalgamate is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to curious conversations, I am so grateful for all of you who have reached out and have been sharing your personal stories, tragedies, and triumphs within the queer community of faith. If you are enjoying this content, please be sure to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast and share this episode with a friend. 
You can also follow our sponsors, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship, and be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. Thank you.